Hi everyone. Hello, welcome. Hi everyone. Welcome. Really good to see you all. <laughs> so, Stanford, um, I'm just going to give everyone a little bit of time just to come in. I've been told that the football is on uh, <laughs> and also get your audio set up as well. Um, but just to introduce myself, I am Stanford. I'm a medical doctor, work in mainly psychiatry, previously work in maternity, also yoga teacher, also have been learning about yoga therapy under Colin. Colin? Hi, um, my name's Colin. I've just finished my dinner. Um, so, and I just made these guys laugh because I was just, just eating it quite noisily. Um, my name's Colin. I'm a yoga therapist. I um, spent 25 years um, studying and working with people one-to-one. -one. And the majority of my work has been around, especially when you're in yoga therapy, has been around um, relationships, the relationships that people have with themselves and the relationships they have with the outside world. And so when Stanford um, came to me and said, well, you know what, I, I think I'm a bit bored of the lymphatic system as a subject matter. I mean, come on, you can just research the lymphatic system online. And I think we should do something a little more interesting. I think we should look at love. I thought, what a perfect idea. And I agreed straight away. And then I realized what an absolute minefield the concept of love is. So um, it, it's, over to you, Stanford. Could you explain just a little bit more about how we got here? Why are we talking about love and, and what are we going to be doing with love? I'm, I'm just going to spend the first five minutes bickering with you just to show everyone my love of bickering with you. Mm. Uh, my side of the story is, yes, I propose or someone that I love proposed the idea of changing the topic and it seems to be more interesting than the lymphatic system. Uh, but we, we decided to <laughs> come to this topic a bit more because it's very, very universal. One way or another, you can talk about romantic love, you can talk about love in friendship, you can talk about love for yourself. And that, you know, seems to be the eternal question of what is love? Now, when I um, talk to the team about the promotional materials and what is going to be said in the Instagrams, on the newsletter, I, I think I was quite particular. I want my, my bit of the blurb to say that I have no answer. Uh, <laughs> the reason is that I, I truly have no answer. What is love? I, I don't think many people do. That with, there are many proxies of love, how you can measure love. Some people use as a relationship, some people use as hormones, some people can actually use heart rate, um, facial recognition, facial um, expressions. Um, some people use how long they have been married for, how uh, much gift they give to their kids. There are many, many, many ways that people say they measure love with. Um, but I truly not sure if I completely 100% totally agree with every single one of them or any one of them. Um, I think it is a strong, strong, strong emotion that we all have. But actually, that's the thing about emotion. It, it is all quite unique to each of us. And it's almost in a way it is non reproducible in some way. Like, I felt like my love for one thing changes over time and I may not be able to love something like my love for reading, if I say. It wouldn't be the same um, about it now compared to 10 years before, compared to 10 years later. And my love for reading to another book nerd, it may be completely different as well. So 
not sure if that answered your question, Colin, who still might be eating, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> love of food. Uh, <laughs> but that is going to be my answers at the moment. How about you? What, what is love? Um, I, I'm going to say that I don't know in the same way as, as you don't know, because we, we've got this idea of the word. And the word love with every single person means something completely different. It's a completely different experience for each person. And that's where, for me, yoga starts to kick in because it, it celebrates the difference of experience. Rather than looking for a commonality of experience and saying this defines what an experience of love is or, or an experience in general is, it looks at the other way. It actually turns around and it says, everyone has a different perception, everyone has different feelings, everyone has a different experience. And so there becomes something different with regard to that. And actually what we're doing, each of us is doing is to find a commonality of concept, of perception, of engagement, of reference with each other within the world. And so love becomes one of those things. And um, when, when I was studying, all the yoga texts, I was, I was quite interested when I was, and I, I said this a number of times, I was very interested that there wasn't a, a, an idea of a translation of love that came forward. And I found this very interesting because I came across lots of words. I came across this word ananta, which means endless. And, and it was kind of like, it, it, it's, it's kind of, a, it's a word that is unmeasurable. It's, it's, there's an endless concept to it. I came across this other word, um, Ananda, it means to Ananda, it, it's, it, it's to, to dance with joy. It, it, it means that one, one, one is in a, in a state where one dances with joy. And it can be across this other word, Priyam, um, which is kind of like a strange word. It, it means agreeable, kindly, pleasant. I started to come across all these different words and I was trying to understand, well, what is the concept of love? What is this kind of, this, this, passion, this magnetism, this, this wanting to be with someone, the, you know, the, the, you know, that kind of sick feeling where you can't bear to be without someone, or the, or the repulsive feeling where you can't wait to get away with some, from someone, you know, what, what's going, how, what, how, does, how does all of this, why, why is this philosophy on one side not having this word in it, and why, doesn't, why is the word not there? And so I started to unpick sort of the key fragments of yoga philosophy and um, to look at them. And, and, and one key thing that it is looking at is awareness and feeling. The concept of awareness and feeling, which means that you're observing something. And there's a very interesting idea within yoga is that it, just because you don't perceive something doesn't mean that it's not there. And it means that it, 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 it's a, it means that there are feelings uh, that are possible to, that each of us are possible to have and how we can have those feelings and is achievable for, for every single person. So we had this idea of feeling and we've also got this idea of experience. So there's also this idea of experience, which I think becomes also very important as well. And yoga is very hot on experience it, it's it, it's actually it's a, it's a manual to say what it's possible to experience in this world 
And what I find quite interesting is that we put goals in place like happiness, or we put goals in place like, I want to be happy, I want to be joyful, I want to be in love, I want to be the right person, I want this is the one. It puts all these sort of goals in place, but yoga actually doesn't do that. It only puts two goals in place, which I find kind of interesting. And I find that very interesting because a lot of the work that I do is all on relationships. And for me, yoga is all about, and the success in yoga is that there is more success in your relationships. And so the big promise given is that you can be free within yourself. And this is a concept called high valium. It's, it's a concept which means that you're free. And when I link this to a lot of the case studies that I've come to talk about and explain how people feel so bound in relationships. So I was talking to someone this week who, who said to me, you know what, I don't want to be with this person anymore. I need to get out of this relationship. I was like, but why? You know, you've only been with them for a short amount of time. And he said to me, I, I, you know, I, I want to, you know, just go and date other people. You know, I want to have some fun. I want to, you know, experience life. I want to be wanted by other people. You know, I want to feel all these different things. And so what we get is we get this idea that actually within ourselves there are a number of different things that are happening there are a number of different things going on there's desire and how we have a feeling of desire and passion about something and there is also on the reverse side of it how we hold on to certain things and so these constructs about this idea of desire and the passion around something, and also this idea of the attachment around the concept or the notion of how something should be, form very, very heavily within relationships. So to begin to answer your question, Stanford, is that I see a couple of things. One is that I don't think many of us know what love is. I don't know whether everyone is searching for love. I think that each person's behavior is different, has different motivational actions within it. So we tend to get a lot of variables within it. And I also think that Yoga provides, and what I've seen, is a framework for us to be able to create a personal evolution by addressing the relationship we have with the outside world through our activities and through our ability to act, and also the capacity to also understand our inside world through the capacity to reflect and be aware of what we believe or what we trust or what we think we can see or what we can't see. And so I think that what we find here is we find that we start to get a framework which starts to look at a coherence of direction inwards and outwards for two simple reasons. The first reason is the concept of sukha, which we come across within yoga. The concept of ka, ka is a space, and su is a kind of like a, an open, very, very open space. And du, ka, 
is a constricted space. So the framework of yoga philosophy, Sankhya philosophy, points us in the direction that there is a space within us that is either constricted or either expanded. And so we have this space that either constricts or either expands. And we have a relationship that goes with ourselves and a relationship that goes out into the world. We have the feelings and the experience of the relationship with ourselves, and the feelings and the experience of relationship with the world. We have the possibility to actually feel free within ourselves and also be able to act with clarity out into the world. And we've got the capacity to discover who we really are. So we start to combine all these things together. What I really start to see is I start to see that it's really a framework to discover for each of us what the possibility of love within the relationship to ourselves and other people can actually be. Does that make any sense? It does. And thank you. But I also felt a little overwhelmed, I think. I, I'm not sure if anyone feels the same about by your answer and how almost comprehensive it is. And I, I, I trust that you're already being brief in your answer as well. You, you are trying to very concisely express a lot of deep, deep knowledge about it. Um, okay, let, let me try to unpick a little bit from what I've learned I, so far. Please, please accept my apologies, because I, 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 was it clear? Because it's kind of, it's, it's, it's quite a, I'm trying to sort of put this framework together and it, it's, but, but let's, let's unpick a little bit one, one step at a time. I think, I think first of all, you express how it's about feeling and experience. And I think, absolutely, as I said, I think from my point of view, love is definitely an emotion and it's an experience as well. And I think one big part of it I, I really think is important is about recognitions. It's knowing what feelings and experience you are going through at the moment. Um, because sometimes you, you can be in love or having a feeling of love or experiencing either loving someone, something, or being loved by something or someone else without re realizing it. Um, just to say that I have brought some science with me, but I think for this topic, I deliberately choose more humanity research rather than scientific research, because I think it's slightly more applicable. Uh, I remember there was a line by, I think it's Meryl Streep in The Hour, talking about she and her some friends and like something like 20, 30 years ago, having an experience and thinking, oh, wow, this is great. This is the beginning. I can have happiness from now on. Um, this is all the possibility now. And it was like 20 years down the line, she then realized, no, that moment itself was happiness. It was there. And, and sometimes I feel like love is kind of the same. You, you, you thought, oh, this is the beginning. We're going to have all the joy and happiness and all the sharing and everything. And then maybe actually later on realize, no, you were in love from that moment, pure and simple. And it may change over the next God knows how long. And then that's just what it is. But that moment itself is you being in love. And I think, I think that kind of come and relate to that scientific approach a little bit, because I'm sure a few of you have already researched and found that um, there's this science behind falling in love and they tend to come to three stages, apparently. Uh, begin with lust, which the hormones drive behind is usually testosterone or estrogen. 
uh, which is kind of like the sex hormone bringing all the rush, all the blood flows, all the um, like hazy eyes when you see the other person. And then, then, and then it comes attraction, like a slightly deeper, less rushed phase where it's more by dopamine, like the rush happiness hormone that, you know, sometimes some people get uh, from recreational drugs like cocaine as well. Uh, or nicotine. Um, then there's uh, north, F, uh, north adrenaline, which is kind of adrenaline, is the rush hormones and the serotonin as well. Then when love settles into the attachment phase where you are very, very comfortable with the other person, it's usually quoted like oxytocin, where, you know, it's the hugging hormone, the hormone that you get you know, when you're having orgasm, when you have physical contact with the other person, or uh, when mother birth a baby, they come with a rush of oxytocin as well, as well as another one called vasopressin. What I find interesting behind the kind of the trend of the hormone is as the love settles so does the hormone they are more about forming a bond they're more form uh, about recognizing the other person and like having a having a sort of ease with the other person is not so much about you know all the blush rushing to your head or the blush rushing to your blood uh, your heart and pounding sweating your palm um your pupil dilates so on and so forth you still have some of that i'm sure but it's more about being comfortable with the other person and in a lot of ways, I don't think there's a right or wrong in which way uh, or what is love, what is not love. I think, I think it's his really good way of demonstrating how love just changed and it can mean different things to different people. Like the example that Colin has given, uh, someone's already seen someone else and then say that, um, actually, no, I still want to date, I still want to see other people. Um, so John Gottman, um, probably a name that you might want to write down. I'm going to come back to him later on, uh, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. Um, he did loads and loads of research about a relationship. So I'm going to say again, he's using relationship almost like a proxy to measure love again. Um, he mostly focused on how a heterosexual relationship forms and breaks, what are the early warning signs, so on and so forth. And he actually found that affairs or you know, people cheating outside of a relationship tends to actually, because of no loneliness, is not really about the breaking of love, it's the person, the or that one person or both person not really getting the bond that the valuing from the other person. And that's why they are going out to look for that validation from someone else. And I think that, again, is showed by Colin's case study where it can happen very earlier on when you're just dating someone else, maybe a few weeks, a few months, and you're already not getting that. Or maybe it's 20 years down the line when, you know, you settle so much and you forgot what it's like to really have the hazy eyes and sweaty palms uh, when you woke up with the person next to you. And, and I think that is an interesting concept of, you know, recognizing what you need over time. But I'm sure Colin has something to say about uh, what I've just said as well. But I think just to move a little bit forward, I think sometimes in order to recognize something or to define something as being quite, quite difficult, something like love, it is useful to look into what is the opposite of it. It's almost like once you shaded out all the things that is not, or you cross off all the things off the list, what you're remaining with, hopefully, will be the things that you've been looking for. So Colin, in your point of view, what is the opposite of love?
I like the um, three-step approach that you gave with regard to lust or passion. Um, this idea of attraction and also um, attachment forming as well. But I still don't believe those are love. I think those are the basis of actually constructing relationships. And the big thing for me about yoga is the interesting way that it looks at how we attach to things, how we want things, how we identify and reference things, how we then have patterns associated with how we identify and reference these attachments, desires and patterns, and how we use an, our memory and our imagination to help construct our reality within this. Now, I was speaking to a lady earlier today and she said to me, because I'd given her some homework because she's having some difficulty in a relationship. And she said, it's very interesting. I, I remember this time when I went to the Maldives with my now husband, who wasn't, I was, we were dating at the time. I went there as just the two of us and suddenly I almost felt him pull away from me inside. And I thought, shit, I've had this, I'm allowed to swear on this. Okay, I've, I've, I've had this feeling before and they, she thought, he's gonna dump me. He's gonna dump me. And she started to become very anxious and very worried. And he took her down to the beach and he proposed to her. And so what we find is we find something very, very interesting. We find that what happens is that within each of the relationships that we have, there are lots of different emotions that we have that are very similar to emotions that we've had in the past based on the feelings and experiences that we've got and we recall based on only what we know, which means that we can only go as far into a relationship as we've been before, before we come up against a stumbling block where we need to move further. So the interesting thing for me is that all of this is what I can see as the obstacles to love. These are the opposite to that because love is actually already there. It's there. And, but what happens and what comes up for each of us is that there becomes certain ways that based on our experience and based on the feeling, sometimes we're hurt by certain things. Sometimes we want proof that someone actually loves us or, or values us. Sometimes we feel, and as one person I'm working with at the moment, it feels they have so much love to give, but no one else can handle the amount of love they have to give. How does one give and how does one receive as well? Because yes, they can give, but can they receive? And so for me, there's a number of different constructs within the base of the relationship. So thank you for mentioning those 
three points Stanford because for me they're very very interesting because they are this phase of, of, of lust or passion this desire thing for me almost it, it's it's interesting but it's a distraction and also the next thing for me that's also a distraction is the idea of this phase of attraction and attachment these next two phases because I think that we can fall we can do these quite well but can we move beyond this actually can we navigate the vast network of individual complexity that each of us have in order to ensure that what happens is that we can accurately communicate our feelings to someone else and navigate to keep that link or that deep bond which isn't tainted by our projections of reality or someone else's projections of reality and disturbed by those so for me these are kind of like the opposite and they're kind of like the main crux of the things that I'm working with a lot within relationships because to help someone to be aware and to navigate a lot of these things is the stepping point to get success and yoga is very interesting because it says that the only way that you can change a pattern is through meditation because you express all of this stuff absolutely all of it is expressed out through the way that you act in the world did that answer your question Yes, beautiful. And I, I, I'm actually, I'm smirking and quite happy here because I think we found another topic where we are going to have to agree to disagree on. I really like your answer where you can, you call lust especially and almost attractions, they are distraction from love. I think I personally find a slightly different perspective where I find um, an expression of love. They, they are can be a distraction from what is truly underneath, but I, I felt like they're more an expression because people can love via lust and people can love via attraction as well. And maybe, maybe if I see more people here, maybe if I experience more myself, I can slowly see your perspective more. I think personally, I will say opposite of love is not hate. I think hate itself can be an expression of love as well. I'm sure we all met some people where there's, I really hate that, or I really hate him or her, where you can, after five minutes, you can hear from the tone of their voice that actually that you do still care about that person rather, rather a lot. It's just, you know, you have a negative experience and you associated that negative experience about it and you, instead of being positive and lovingly, you, you kind of having this strong emotion in a more negative way, but if you can reconcile things, you, you probably fall back into love with that person, so on and so forth. I actually personally felt that the opposite of love is indifference. When you kind of don't get connected to the emotion and the sense and the perception anymore, you're just like, I no longer care. I just want to take a step away. And I felt like if I can take that bit away, I can slowly see what love is for me. It's about actually really caring and connecting and um, many, many different forms and ways of connection with the other person, which is why I said, I almost felt lust and attraction an expression rather than um, the opposite. What I, I want to also say is, um, 
you talked about the interaction with yourself, and I think we talked about this before off camera, uh, in a pub somewhere. I think uh, had the human experience, and I said as an obstetrician, and I read this uh, more than once in textbook, but also in this great book called *Sapien*. It basically talked about how all human beings are premature. Because because we are so developed, our brain got so big, it no longer really kind of get into the proportion of the rest of our body, so to speak, and definitely not in the proportion to the female pelvis, which is you know very very important vessels for birth. Um, so what added, uh, ended up having to happen is in the physiology, it has to change, it has to adapt, so that we have to born around forty weeks gestation. Which actually, when you come to think of it, the baby born, you know, the human baby is really really maladaptive it wasn't really be able to feed itself protect itself run away from enemies dangers um not a lot of hair as well not even be able to protect ourselves against the weather so that it becomes really 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 vulnerable and when you compare it to other mammals like deer bear, bear whales they the baby born they pretty much mature they they can run around they can start not so much hunting but at least they can be with the pack when they go hunt uh, run away from enemies so and so forth so it becomes more self-sufficient and almost slightly more independent it needs to be careful but it, at least it has some more basic function it does make me wonder if that almost kind of make us having an innate need or sense of incompleteness. I know this may be quite controversial, but I, 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 that's the con conclusion I can draw so far is because we're born so vulnerable, there's a sense that we constantly need to be looked after, to be careful, and that need, that drive is probably one of the reasons why we got you know, so developed as we are now, you know, we have all this technology, all these powers, all this knowledge, and sometimes all this expression, especially in art, it, it, you can see there's a lot of expression that we, we're constantly looking for something, constantly looking to almost like complete, uh, which again, I don't think you see as much in the nature world, you know, a lot more animals seems to be very at ease with the nature, very happy, and they kind of just go with the surrounding a lot more. And there's not a lot of let me build a house, let me let me build a Disneyland, the happy, happiest place on earth. You don't see rats doing that. They kind of just fall and you know merge into the surrounding a lot more. And it does make, make me wonder that is this part of our drive, or at least part of myself, um, to have this need or have this desire to look for what is the, the, the question of what is love. I actually have a sketchbook that I started about five, six years ago. And um, I think at the back of the sketchbook, I literally write out love. And then since then, I've been collecting um, songs, poems, passage, quotes from TVs, uh, sometimes pictures of old boyfriends or um, memorabilia or past relationships. And, and I'm just trying to see what love means to me. Um, so that's the answer I got so far. I, 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 again, I wouldn't say for sure that is what it is, but yeah. Colin, how do you measure love? Now I said I use that sketchbook and I, I, I won't share any more what is inside the sketchbook, but how would you measure love? Or how would yoga tell us to tell us when we have the experience? this is love, or recognizing what's already within ourselves, this is love. How do we have a proxy? Well, 
take two sides. The first is to answer the question. Um, but the other is to just to just talk about what you, you just discussed, because I, I really liked what you said. Rather than starting off with, I agree with everything that you said, I, I, I really like the, this, the concept of, I, I want to reframe the word passion um, and, and use the word intimacy, because the word intimacy as an expression of love becomes very important because it, it means there can be a movement outwards from us based on an intent or a set of feelings. And it's the intention and the set of feelings that taint the patterns that we have. So I, I, I really like what you said there. And I also the forming of this bonding stage at a very, very early age, because I remember that conversation we had in the park. I think it was it was it was kind of interesting. I, I was I was into a bowl of chips and and, and it was just we were we were talking about um, we were talking about this vulnerability of this mammal uh, and the incapacity for it to be able to feed itself. But then looking at creating these bonds, it can't move, it can't feed, it can't do anything. But it starts to learn to communicate and it starts to learn lots of different things and lots of different bonds. And as we know quite a lot from Western psychology, Eastern psychology, it's those initial stages that become very important within a young person's life to set itself up for the associations it has later on in life as well. So we, we know this and, and that's I, I think that's fascinating as well because The other word that I find quite interesting in yoga is called shraddha. It, it's dha. It means to be held or to hold, um, and, and it is described by Vyasa in Vyasa's commentary on Yoga Sutra as it's as if it's it's like a, a mother holds a baby. So it's the kind of it's it's to do with trust, faith, conviction, confidence. It's the concept that actually there is this link in place where it's just such a strong bond and a link where nothing else is involved, but this purity within that. Um, I find that, and I find that very, very interesting. And, and it, for me, it means that what starts to happen is that love has expressions so there is kind of for me there are markers with regard to this and so something like peace for me if there is peace it's an expression of love there's there's peace there it's an expression of love if there is compassion there it's an expression of love so this idea of shanti peace the idea of karuna um it, it, there is this this compassion it's a byproduct. It's not something that you're having to work on. It, it, it runs right the way through. So you are compassionate, you are peaceful. There is a stillness there. You know, it, there is, it, there's a stillness and there's a security within that. And there's a stability within that as well. So for me, these are expressions of love. Um, there's a friendliness, there's a joy. There is 
and a positive attitude. And there is a, a word that I'm going to quite of, it's quite hard because you said indifference. And I think indifference is an expression of love because it means that what you can do is that you can understand where someone else is coming from when they're in a lot of difficulty and when they're taking something out on you and that you're not taking those emotions on board or you're not taking it in any other way, but you're seeing it for the reality as it is, which means you're in a very stable place, a place where you're connected to yourself and a loving place. And then you've got the capacity to be with that person in a different way. So it's just, for me, these are kind of measures. They're measures because it means that your relationships are going to go in the right way because there is this stability there, because you naturally have this peace and this stillness. Does this make sense, Stanford? Yeah, it does. And you do make me think when you when you express indifference in that way, yes, because it almost sounds like you you're very centered and you you know where or I know where I will be coming from. And and that 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 it will be a good expression of love. And hopefully that is a great expression of love, actually, because you're more integrated, you are more yourself. So I need to think about that. I'm not sure. I, I, I will still maintain that feeling indifference is opposite for love at the moment, but I may change. <laughs> Who knows? Um, what, what I think you said, there are so many different expressions of love as well in peace and compassion. And I really, really agree with them. And in my research, I, I, I found something similar. Um, I think a few years ago, this is very, very big. It's um, Love Essays done by Mandy Len, uh, Len Catran. It's, uh, it's called To Fall in Love with Anyone. Do this. It lists off like 36 questions. I think it was in the New York Times or something like that. And, and it's referring to a study that has been done by psychologist Arthur Aaron. Uh, and it has three sets of questions you meant to do with a total stranger or one of your friends, if you prefer. And then you ask each other the question or you read it together and you basically tell the answer to each other. And what it supposedly do is if you do it together and then afterward you look into each other's eyes for about four minutes, you will feel the feeling of love and maybe you fall in love with the other person. Uh, it didn't work. At least it didn't work for me. So, but but I think it has a really, really, really good point. Uh, it didn't work for me because I actually did it with a friend that I know for a few years as well. And uh, we just kind of did it as a joke. We didn't do it uh, seriously. Um, but when I go back this time around as part of the research for this, I, I kind of dissected the, uh, the question a little bit and see what they are trying to ask. So they ask a lot of questions like, when did you last sing to yourself or to someone else? Um, do you have a secret hunch about when you're going to die? So there are a lot of things that ask about like the basic kind of personal preference or habits or deeper thinking. But also there are questions that ask a lot about their past, uh, each other's past, like what's your greatest accomplishment in your life? Um, as well as some, a lot of questions about judgment and values, like what does friendship mean to you? So it kind of almost within a really short space of time, 36 questions, we did it in about 15, 20 minutes. You kind of 
get a lot of these really deep, important personal questions out of the way. And I think what happened is hopefully you get to understand the other person quite a lot more through, as Colin said, these are, these are, these are some of the proxy or some of the expressions of love, like what makes you compassionate, what, what, um, what makes you peaceful, that they kind of the underlying theme of most of these questions, uh, kind of what, what makes you happy and joy or what do you sing to kind of thing. And then at the end of this, you have to look into each other's eyes and, um, people who have looked into each other's eyes know like two minutes as um, the researcher themselves said, two minutes is enough to be terrifying, four minutes really getting to somewhere. Um, and I think, I think that is one of the ways that I think in the interaction with the world of other people, having these sorts of understanding of each other, a lot of the time is important to kind of perpetuate the relationship as well as the feeling of love. It, it is what helps to have these understanding and these this ease and stillness that Colin have said when you are with the other person. Now back to Colin, have you done the test before? Have you asked? <laughs> well, I haven't, I haven't done the test, or I haven't done that yet. Um, but is it, uh, what I, one, of the, one of the sort of main pieces of advice I give people who are entering into relationships is, is it's almost like what you just said Stanford quite nicely is that it's the it's the outset of the relationship that sets everything up for the rest of the relationship do that make any sense it's 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 like it's in those you know like you say you know there's 36 questions we're looking into each other's eyes the idea of asking questions and questioning motives, questioning beliefs and going on a journey together, I think becomes very important within the outset of a relationship. Because it, it's for me, it's those that first section, those that first point which you talked about with regard to this idea of, of, of lust, of, of attraction and attachment, this kind of this initial phase. For me, that lays down everything, all the patterning for the later on in the relationship. And whether there's success or failure, for me, the success comes if people can question and if they can begin to take responsibility and start to unravel a lot of their story as part of becoming vulnerable with someone else. Because for me, love has also got a strength within the vulnerability. And it's this strength and vulnerability that coexist that allow you to go deeper. But it means that the work within a relationship, if they're with love involved, any type of relationship where there is love, the work occurs while the going is good not while the going is bad in fact you're preparing for the difficulties that are going to come and so i remember when i was growing up we used to, to do you remember a place called clinton cards nope anyone remember that there was a card shop you always used to go into a card shop 
and um, we had, I mean, back in the day, we had card shops, you know, we, we didn't get them down from the internet. This was a very long time ago. Um, and you went into a card shop and you try and find different funny cards. And I remember there's this one section, it was called a love is section. And it was a kind of like, it's two kind of people and it's on the front of it. And it's like, you know, love is giving someone else flowers at the heart. And, you know, it's love is doing this and love is doing that. And, and almost that we, have again and again and again bombarded on us from every different angle this idea of what love is and it it's very important for each of us to discover what love is for ourselves rather than the expectation of what it is based on someone outside of our relationship I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. It, it really does. It, it also, your your the the car shop experience remind me of uh, the quote from one Corinthian. I'm not religious, but it's just a quote I've heard before, and I actually it quite kind of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's thirteen four two seven. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boat, it is not proud, it does not dishonor other, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong, love does not delight in evil, but rejoice with it the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Mm. I'm definitely reading it off somewhere as I can't have I, I don't have the Bible off my heart in my in myself. Um, but I think I think it does speak a lot of truth of or it at least echoes a lot of what you just said as well, it, it, once again, shows a lot of the, the negative of what love is not. And, and again, I think, I think I agree, what, what left behind is a good expression of love. Mm. Bring a little bit more scientific once again, I'm gonna come back to this man called John Gottman, uh, who done all these uh, experiments on relationship. So I, I think he found some good markers of like more contemporary sense uh what when relationship slash in some way love is no longer there so in 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 a short period of time time so like within six years of your relationship if there are markers of um contempt defensiveness criticism and stonewalling which means like you kind of just shut off um which apparently in heterosexual relationships mostly happen by men or from men, um, that tends to be a market that the relationship or the love is kind of in trouble. For things that are a little bit further along the lines of, let's say, more than 10 years, it, it is actually important to start looking into how you interact or, uh, with your significant other or your loved one or not so loved one. So, uh, it's, uh, so he actually holds studies where he asked couples to start remembering or have an or reenact one of their arguments. I'm sure people who have been married for longer than 10 years, they have something to argue about. Um, and then he actually just stay there and just uh, measure the heart rates, skin conductivities, like looking at el- electrical charges, facial expressions, how the conversation goes. So they have all sorts of mapping. And he, he does share a lot of the research results. So if you're interested, please go to his website. He has a whole website about all of these. And uh, he published a lot of paper and it's really interesting. Well, he actually found this within the first three minutes of a conflict uh, conversation, you can actually tell and predict 
about 96% of uh, if the couple is going to be lasting or not really lasting. I'm paraphrasing here. He used the term high risk or, uh, or uh, for disillusion or low risk. So for high risk or unstable, unhappy couple, he found that within three minutes of this conflict conversation, about the ratio for positive to negative expression is positive, 0.8, negative, 1. And most people say, that's pretty good. I'm arguing with someone and, you know, I, I, I'm slightly ne more negative than positive, about 20% more negative than positive. That's not bad. What he actually found on uh, couples that are happy and stable and low um, risk for the solution is actually they express five compared to one um, positive to negative ratio. So even in conflict, people still manage to use like humor, they can um, link back to old things, having positive affects so they still like adore each other a little bit. Um, they show affection, they show empathy, even through conf conflict. And I think in a way, it is once again quite good proxy or measurements of love where even in difficult times, sometimes directly because of the other person, you can still have enough care and connection with the other person that you, you don't lose that positive affect for them. You, you still have the connection. You still want to see them. You still want to say anything. I say, uh, say not, not say anything that will hurt them, so to speak. Um, and I, I just found that very, very interesting because it, it makes me think about my relationship where if I have a conflict, do I come from a place of still trying to empathize i i'm i'm arguing because I, I i still want to connect with that person i'm trying to build on my connection with this person or i'm preparing to sever tire um so yeah so go back to earlier on so i think if i no longer care like feeling indifference i mean i probably stop loving that person but if i still care i'm you know still angry and trying to get them to you know be better or you know be more suitable for me then probably i still care a bit does that make sense, Colin, or am I going off a tangent a bit? No, I really like what you said there, because it, for me, it sums up the minefield of relationship that we're having to navigate on an everyday basis. And how do we have a relationship, a loving relationship, not just a loving relationship with other people? And that can take many forms. A friendship can be a loving relationship. It can be an intimate relationship, but also to have a loving relationship with oneself and having the ability to have all of these is within the grasp and the power of each of us. Um, so yeah, I really like what you said actually, Stanford. Um, so does, how would you, we, we both haven't been able to define love, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, I mean, I, I feel, I feel in one way that it, it's it's in, it's actually quite special not being able to define love, because I think that what that does is it means that it becomes almost the magic component within humanity that is there within each of us. Does that make any sense? It's a, it's, it's a, I think to, to sum up for me what's, what's come out of today is 
feeling, experience, freedom, discovery of who we are, the capacity to do something, act in the world and have a relationship with other people, to have a relationship with ourselves, to go on a personal journey of evolution and everything that we come across in our way is an opportunity for us to evolve and to move forwards in life. And each of us being completely different, coming to any other relationship, we have different sets of patterns and different perceptions and to celebrate those differences rather than trying to look for similarities. And that would be my kind of summary. Beautiful. And I, I maintain what I said in the begin, beginning of the webinar. I said, I'm not going to be able to give a definition of love. And I still don't think I can. Um, I'm not being selfish. I can, I'm more than happy to share my own definition and I, I, I will share it. Um, but I think part of the reason why I feel a little bit more reluctant and Colin may feel the same is if, if I share or if we share our own definition, we might get a few nods in the audience. But I think as we keep saying, love is so unique and individual. Yeah. It is good to hear and read about what love means to other people, but ultimately it doesn't stop us or it, it still requires us to keep asking what does, it, what does it mean for ourselves. It's a bit easier to define things like anger, lower back pain, um, I don't know, irritable bowel syndrome, because they, they, they have a slightly more well-confined margin and there's more universally recognized criterias whilst I think love for all those such a universal in, in, innate drive desire or feeling and or feeling it, it, it truly almost like the essence of yourself a little bit more and it is much harder for me to sit here and to tell you what it should be I think for myself, love is, I think I do, I do love myself, I think. I'm going to ask, I say that as almost like a question. I think I love myself in a way that I look into the mirror, that is still a person I constantly want to understand, realise that there are more things to be understood, there are more things to be done with, alongside and sometimes argue with as well. I do argue with myself sometimes, and we can talk about that. And um, but at the same time even through bad times I still want to be there for myself to get through it and I think now that I have done research, enough research in my sketchbook I, I realised that kind of is the pattern that I have in a lot of the other loving relationship I have with other people is when I have this care that this desire of understanding the person want to be there for him or her want to help or at least be there for him and her to keep de developing and you know going forward in this flow that we call life and that's usually how I express my love. Again I keep saying uh, you can agree, you can disagree, you can have your own unique expression of love and I very much champion you for it. Uh, that is mine. Um, but yeah I think I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> Colin. Thank, thank you so much, Stanford. Um, it, it's a, 
Thank you for sharing everything. Um, and thank you so much for this evening as well. Um, I hope you've all got a lot from this. And it was quite densely packed with a lot of stuff. And I can't believe an hour has gone past already. Um, I, I think to, Yeah, it, it, it's it's possible to understand that that where there is a, a link or a connectivity involved between ourselves and something else, whether it's coming from us to something else or from something else to us, then there is the possibility of love. And it was down to us to maybe begin to identify, label, categorise that thing in the way that is meaningful for each of us and it will be different i just want to say thank you so much sanford um because you know we've we touched we scratched the surface with love and there's many many ideas around this and there are also religious ideas and lots of religious ideas around this as well especially within eastern tradition which is why this framework at the end with regard to whatever level and whatever type of interaction, if there is a link in place, then there's a capacity for love, it can appear. Yeah, maybe there'll be love part two at some stage, who knows? <laughs> or maybe not. Um, next webinar is about menopause. <laughs> Switch up topic. So if you are interested, please come along. Brilliant. Three weeks time. Thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate you all being there. And I hope you got something from this. So thank you so much. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, everyone. Good night. <laughs>